Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelves. West Virginia. Take me home, take country road, take Take me me home. home. Guess I don't know that song. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so thank you. Uh, We are coming to you live, except not, from West Virginia. (laughs) Hello from West Virginia. Uh, I, I made it. Uh, we are currently actually across the table from each other. Yeah. Back in the same place. I love you. Love you. <laughs> uh, big thanks to Emily for filling in last week. Yeah. But we are back to the original lineup and ready to play. Ready to play. I just realized part of the reason I am talking so strange right now is because I still have the headphones yes, on. Yes, you do. I was like, so are you doing like full sounds on... really cool in my own head. You're doing very good <laughs> announcer voice right now. I was like, is this a new thing we're going with? Uh, it's like 1980s... Uh, uh, Casey, with Casey Kasem. Like, yeah, yeah. I've decided thank I'm you just for go listening. Full, I'm gonna go full radio DJ from now on. Okay, that's, okay. That's my new my new character. Have you not been working on a new character? Um, I have. I just didn't want to reveal it until until later. Until until we were ready. Um. Also, you might notice that our Airbnb is on a uh, rail 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 a rail. It's a relatively busy it's, street. It's on the set for Ralph. Uh, <laughs> Ralph. Ralph. I don't know. Like Is Wreck-It Ralph? Wreck-It Ralph. Yes. Okay. It's on the set of Wreck-It Ralph. That, that makes sense, actually, because uh, uh, Velopia Vil- or Velopia or whatever. Not, 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 that sounds like fallopian tubes. That's not right. Yeah. Um, Vel- whatever the girl's name is. She likes to drive cars. So oh, yeah. it makes sense that it would be. Yeah. Well, and he likes to destroy things. So it always sounds like a construction sounds site. noisy. So, yeah. If you hear, uh, if you're some, some gears shifting and whatnot it's because uh about 25 feet from where we're recording is um a relatively busy road and that was a ghost and there's a ghost in our <laughs> it's that thing again yeah but we're here and we're together and uh i'm i'm excited to uh i got to see pride and prejudice which was amazing i saw it three times i yep. saw preview opening and then i saw their fourth performance um, so I get to meet Emily, yay, and I get to meet the whole cast, and they're all amazing. And so, if, yes, if you're in West Virginia, if you happen to be near Lewisburg, West Virginia, in the next couple weeks, don't miss it. It's delightful. Well worth the time. Come be a Jane Austen groupie. Come be it's a, what all the cool kids a are Jane doing. Austen, but it's like bring young people because like it's a Kate Hamill adaption, so it's not it's not your BBC Jane Austen. It is it is very accessible and funny, and like there's fart jokes. I mean, it's really right up my alley. Like, <laughs> there's dick and fart jokes all over the place. And it's I'm basically like, just this podcast. It is it, Jane Austen with penis jokes. Yeah, exactly. I said we should read a Jane Austen sometime because apparently it's very accessible for our uh, our sense of humor. So, <laughs> so good job, Kate Hamill. Good job. Yeah. Uh, good job, Greenbrier Valley Theater, for putting that up and kicking butt. So I also, while we've been in Lewisburg, I have been uh, shopping around the little store. So Lewisburg is actually a really cool little town um, and uh, relatively liberal for 
where we are in the world. For West Virginia. Um, and uh, I've found a couple little cute, like a bookshop where I bought a really fun game that I'm hoping you'll get to play with the, um, with the cast from a new chapter bookstore. And it's, uh, it's like matchmaking, but it's like, it's like uh shoots or uh snakes and arrows or snakes and ladders. It's like snakes um, and ladders or shoots and ladders. Yeah. But you're, but the, when you get to the top, it's to meet your match. It's like, it's like, <laughs> so it's like, will Elizabeth and Darcy get together or maybe Darcy will end up with Miss Bennett Bingley. and this, <laughs> Bingley. It's a, it is a progressive game. Um, but then today I was in a little like flea market shop that was adorable. Um, I can't think of the name right now, but um, I'll tag them in the, Patina? Patina. I was in Patina, which is another little shop in town, and I bought, I saw this card game that's very much like, I think it's like Cards Against Humanity, but it's not. So you add accents. It's called Utter Nonsense, and it seemed right up our alley considering we destroy accents all the time. So you basically draw an accent card, and then you draw a, like, uh, other cards and you have to say the the thing in that dialect so all right so here we go we're gonna bit. try that all right uh how are we doing this who's going first uh i'll go first all right so are, are we are you gonna tell us what the accent is or uh am i gonna have to guess um i think you will be able to guess okay oh my god like that place is totally bogus. It, it's filled with dipsticks and dweebs and Euro trash. Um, emotional, sad. Uh, cry. Cry. Uh, yeah. I was like, that's not really an accent. It's, it's an really emotion, an but it does make you sound a certain yeah. way. So, you know, I'll get on board with that. Yeah. Also, this card is hilarious. It's actually OMG. All right. All right. Now your turn. My turn. I'm going to guess. I will hand you a card. Um, fuck you. Fuck your family. <laughs> and get the fuck out of my way. Who planted this fucking tree here? <laughs> uh, lisp? Uh, no. Nerd. Nerd. Uh, yeah, I was going to say nerd or lisp. It was a little bit of both. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do one more. This is fun. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay. HGTV is my porn. Uh, Darth Vader? It's not. It's Batman. Oh. I was trying to do the, I'm Batman. Well, it, it was the... Yeah, I didn't add that. sounded more like Bane. Let's be real. I did not I did not handle that one well. All right, you get one more. All right, one more. This is redonkulous. I love this. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Fucking hell. All right. <laughs> My beard can seek out obscure bands and craft breweries and then post about them on Reddit. You constipated? Pooping. (laughs) That is the place to end this. Okay, so they're not all accents, I guess. It's more like uh, states of being. How Uh, how you say them, yeah. Yes, uh, pooping. Uh, Any game that has a card that just says pooping in it um, wins. Probably going to be okay. (laughs) Uh, So this has been Utter Nonsense with Campfire Classics. (laughs) Utter Nonsense. I hope you enjoyed that. I love that that's not any different from the rest of the podcast. No. (laughs) No. Nope, except that we're being told how to stay stupid shit. We're being told shit. how to say stupid shit. Yeah. Like, we don't just make it up on the spot. Like, oh, yeah, that'll be right. <laughs> it's 
Speaking of making up shit on the spot, um, uh, you want to do what we do? <laughs> sure, let's jump into what we do. So for first-time listeners, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode. You're here. What we do on this podcast is your hosts, Heather and Ken, take turns uh, alternating weekly, usually, except that, you know, last week got confusing. Um, and it I, might happen again. And it might happen again, but that's okay. Uh, we take turns alternating who is going to read a short story sight unseen. We pulled these short stories from the public domain so that nobody sues us. But before we get to the story, whoever chose the story usually reads out some little fun facts, some interesting info, some intellectual inspiration uh basically we want you to learn something during all this utter nonsense (laughs) so this week heather has chosen a story for me to read and so she's going to jump into some fun facts that will probably have something to do with the story or the author but i don't want to put words in her mouth so take it away heather surprise uh so we are going to revisit an author this time we have not read this author in quite some time all right um so i'm doing a little fun thing with fun facts because of something that happened with this author so um if you go back and listen to episode i don't remember which one i didn't even look it up but we read an occurrence at owl creek and we're reading Ambrose Bierce. So Ambrose Bierce is our author. So if you go back and listen to that episode, do we want to look up what that is? So I I believe it was episode 12. Here comes the boom, boom. Here comes the boom, boom. That is right. So if you want to hear our original fun facts about Ambrose Bierce, where we got to go more into his, his upbringing and you know, the, the basic fun facts that you can find on Wikipedia or Google search or Britannica.com. Please go listen to episode 12 in the boom boom room here comes the boom here boom. comes the boom boom <laughs> in the boom boom room is a whole nother episode that's uh, the name of my sex tape i knew it i knew it i found it the other day <laughs> don't google that everybody or do i mean <laughs> um ken sandberg in the boom boom room <laughs> actually if you google that please let me know what Send us what you find. shows up because i'd be curious <laughs> so this week Ambrose Bierce, and uh, just a quick recap, um, American short story writer, journalist, poet, and a Civil War veteran. So the last story we read was very much a war story, like uh, uh, during the Civil War. Yes. Which he became very famous for writing about. But another thing he became very famous for is what I'm going to focus on, on these fun facts. So Ambrose Bierce, uh, I touched on this briefly in the last one, was famous for his disappearance and then he just never was seen again. Uh, yes. So you remember yes. that? Yes, so yes, yes. Uh, I, I will just, I will recap this. So October 1913, Beers was 71, and he left Washington, D.C. to tour old Civil War battlefields. Um, just, you know, do a little more research and whatnot. That's what he, he wrote about and what he experienced. According to reports, by December, he had passed through Louisiana and Texas, crossing into El Paso into Mexico, which... Um, he then just disappeared. So he, the last thing people knew is he went through El Paso into Mexico and was never seen again. So was there a, um, strange man with big white hair and a trench coat seen at about (laughs) that time, possibly driving what in retrospect appears to be a mid eighties DeLorean. It might be. I mean, Ambrose Bierce could be Marty McFly. <laughs> also, 
can someone check and see if I made that joke last time? Because <laughs> it sounds like something I would have done. Um, that could have happened because what uh, what epi- uh, it's the third one, the third one. They're in kind of the Wild West. Yeah. So like, yeah, like Texas, El yep. Paso, whatnot. Um, so he just disappeared. There were there was an official investigation. There was all this stuff, but he just disappeared. And nobody knows there's there's this uh theory that he committed suicide there's a theory that he got lost in the desert and died there's a theory that he was executed by a firing squad in like some town in New mexico for or down in central america okay literally nobody knows it is a mystery so what i'm doing for fun facts is writers that have famously disappeared oh all right yes <laughs> it took a while to get there but i wanted to give you a little, wow. little context long walk for a short drink of water long then. <laughs> walk for a short drink of water i want to give you a little recap on yep. our author first great so um this is a pretty common thing i mean we did cover agatha christie's yep. disappearance which she came back but still to this day no one quite knows what happened Um, so I'm just going to touch on a few other authors. So there's an author named Barbara Newell Follett, who was a child prodigy. Her debut novel was The House Without Windows, and it was published in 1927 when she was 12 years old. Um, went through really great, um, reviews and everything from the New York Times and everything else. When she was 14, her father left the family for another woman and she found a job, um, Married a man who was unfaithful, yada, yada. Um, then uh, when she was like in her early 20s, just disappeared. <laughs> just went away. All right. Uh, which was a striking parallel to what happens in her first novel. So a little weird. A little, little kooky. Uh, then we have Solomon Northup. Uh, who That's is a- not a real name. <laughs> He was a free man, so he was, uh, actually, you probably know his name quite well. Uh, he wrote 12 Years a Slave. Oh. The book. I was wondering why that name sounded familiar, he, his exp- uh, So he was uh, a free man and professional violinist who was kidnapped and sold into slavery while traveling on a musician gig. So 12 Years a Slave is his story. It's based on his life. Yes. Um, while he was on tour lecturing about abolition, he disappeared. Now, the most common theory is that he was kidnapped and taken back into slavery. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. not that, hard to that guess. That one's what not hard happened. to guess, but unfortunately, he disappeared. And but that's a very famous uh, uh, book now because of the the movie that was made. Yeah. That was great. Uh, Anton de Saint Exupéry. <laughs> it's French. Um, I apologize. <laughs> he wrote the Petit Little Prince. It's, okay. it's the it's the writer who wrote the little prince. Anyway, he uh he wrote the little prince, which I think everybody. I mean, I I I read it as a kid, and like it's actually that was the book we read when we were like learning French, and clearly I was very good at it. Um, he was an experienced aviator pilot, and uh, he uh had multiple like ex- like close calls with death while he was flying, and I'm like that would be a good reason for me to stop flying you'd think um but he is assumed he disappeared during uh when he was serving in the french air force during world war ii he just disappeared so missing in action he never was found he's hanging out with amelia Earhart. probably actually (laughs) that's probably true yeah Uh, (laughs) they just got picked up by those aliens from independence day and they're all chilling somewhere yep yep 
Uh, then we have Julian Torma uh, is a Dadaist playwright. So I'm like, I should know this because actually the year before I came to UMKC, my theater history course that I was put into mm-hmm. was like uh, ex- existential playwrights and whatnot. So it was, I, sh- I probably know this name if I searched back in my brain far enough. But yeah, a Dadaist poet and playwright and also uh, like just writer in general. Um, always was a very mysterious writer. And then at the age of 30, Torma allegedly entered the mountains of Tyrol in Austria and never returned. <laughs> right. So he got eaten by a Yeti or something. Yep. Yep. Um, there are so many. I'm going to jump to one more and then we'll uh, we'll jump into our little, uh, little story. All right. But uh, I wanted to read this one just because it makes me laugh. Uh, Jack Black. Um <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> Did you know Jack Black disappeared? <laughs> this is a new one. No, uh, this man's name is Jack Black. Uh, and he was an inspiral, inspirational beat poet and writer. Um, yeah. uh, he was also a career criminal who spent most of his life in jail. So his most famous was his mem- uh, his most famous story was his memoir, You Can't Win details his life as an outlaw and time in prison. So I'm like, Johnny Cash would probably dig this dude. Uh, His book was an instant hit and it was actually turned into a play. So I kind of want to look into that. But he disappeared in 1932. Uh, It is believed that he, because he was sailing in the New York uh, Harbor and his boat and he just never came back. So it got lost at sea or it went down or some uh, pirates came, who knows, but he disappeared. And then Ambrose Bierce, of course. So yeah. uh, many, many uh, questions about that. And then, of course, our muse, Agatha Christie. So uh, there are actually like a dozen more authors, that have, writers specifically, who have just disappeared. Apparently being a writer is a very dangerous profession <laughs> to get into. You just disappear into the mist. Into the mist, into your into your words. Maybe they all just found Brigadoon. Oh, that could be. They're all in Brigadoon. Yeah. That's what I like to think. Brigadoon all, or Schmigadoon. They all, just, they all just disappeared into Brigadoon. <laughs> yep. They're all in the field singing musical theater tunes and kicking their faces. Yep. <laughs> so that is uh, our little fun fact section for this week. Because, oh, thank you. Yeah. I wanted to, I was like, lovely. I was remembered his, that was when I started doing research on him again. I was like, oh, that was so weird. I wonder if other authors have done that because I knew Agatha Christie. Yeah. And the uh, results were pretty impressive, actually. So, all right. Uh, so last time we read one of Ambrose Bierce's like more like Civil War soldier stories. Yes, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. This is called Beyond the Wall, and it is considered a mystery. And it was published first in Cosmopolitan in December 1907. Awesome. So let's start the fire and get some scary on. Beyond the Wall by Ambrose Bierce. (laughs) Back to the radio voice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Beyond the Wall, ghostwritten by Ambrose Bierce. Ghostwritten? Yes, because it's an autobiography of Jon Snow. (laughs) (laughs) What? We make so many Game of Thrones references on this. Because we're cool. That's actually funny because I kept... When I was researching this, I was like, why is this reminding me of something? That's it. That's it right there. <laughs> uh, All right, Jon Snow. So, 
listeners, welcome to our Game of Thrones fan cast. <laughs> Many years ago, on my way from Hong Kong to New York, I passed a week in San Francisco. A long time had gone by since I had been in that city, during which my ventures in the Orient had prospered beyond my hope. I was rich and could afford to revisit my own country to renew my friendship with such of the companions of my youth as still lived and remembered me with the old affection. Are you going to San Francisco? Because you're rich and you're gonna flaunt it all. <laughs> Are you going to San Francisco? That's all I've got. Keep reading the story. <laughs> A musical Game of Thrones fan cast. <laughs> So going to San Francisco to visit, visit whatever, friends. whatever. It's a high school reunion, but most of the people are dead. Most of the people are dead, and he's rich. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, which so those of which remember me with the old affection. Chief of these, I hoped, was Mo Mohun Dampier. Mohun. Mohun. All right. And it's a name. Yep. It's a name. Yeah. All right. Mohun Dampier. An old schoolmate with whom I held a desultory correspondence which had long ceased, as is the way of correspondence between men. <laughs> or, you know, high school friends. You may have observed that the indisposition to write a merely social letter is in the ratio of the square of the distance between you and your correspondent. It is a law. That's a real fancy way of saying out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, especially then, like when yep. you had to write letters and shit, like you didn't get to check up with them on, like you didn't get to stalk them on Facebook. No. It was just like, okay, they no longer probably exist. It's fine. Yeah. I remembered Dampier as a handsome, strong young fellow of scholarly tastes with an aversion to work and a marked indifference to many of the things that the world cares for, including wealth, of which, however, he had inherited enough <laughs> to put him beyond the reach of want. <laughs> in his family, one of the oldest and most aristocratic in the country, it was, I think, a matter of pride that no member of it had ever been in a trade, nor politics, nor suffered any kind of distinction. Huh. Mohan was a trifle sentimental and had in him a singular element of superstition, which led him to the study of all manner of occult subjects, although his sane mental health safeguarded him against fantastic and perilous faiths. What is it like to have sane mental health? <laughs> is kind of like being like, yeah, it's cool. But it's probably kind of being like like being the most boring of the MCU movies. <laughs> which is which one? <laughs> oh, our listeners know. Oh, do, oh, do they? Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to rustle anyone's feathers out there. But <laughs> no, no. But listener, you know. <laughs> you 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 know. Apparently, they know. You know which one is the most boring. Being of sane mental health would be like perpetually watching that, that movie. movie. It's fine. 
It's still an MCU movie. I would trade that for not having sane mental health any day. <laughs> he made daring incursions into the realm of the unreal without renouncing his residence in the partly surveyed and charted region of what we are pleased to call certitude. The night of my visit to him was stormy. Uh-oh. The Californian oh. winter was on, and the incessant rain splashed in the deserted streets or lifted by irregular gusts of wind was hurled against the houses with incredible fury. Uh-oh. With no small difficulty, my cabman found the right place away out toward the ocean beach in a sparsely populated suburb. The dwelling, a rather ugly one, apparently, stood in the center of its grounds, which as nearly as I could make out in the gloom, were destitute of either flowers or grass. Three or four trees, writhing and moaning in the torment of the tempest, appeared to be trying to escape from their dismal environment and take the chance of finding a better one out at sea. Holy shit, this is a dark-ass day in San Francisco. (laughs) The house was a two-story brick structure with a tower a story higher at one corner. In a window of that was the only visible light. Something in the appearance of the place made me shudder. A performance that may have been assisted by a rill of rainwater down my back as I scuttled to cover in the doorway. In answer to my note apprising him of my wish to call, Dampier had written, Don't ring. Open the door and come up. I did so. The staircase was dimly lighted by a single gas jet at the top of the second flight, which in my head means it was being lit by fucking pyrotechnics. (laughs) When I walked in the door, fireworks erupted. (laughs) Goddamn dragon breathed on me. Yippee! And we're back in Game of Thrones. (laughs) I managed to reach the landing without disaster. That's good. And entered by an open (laughs) door. (laughs) I didn't fall up the stairs. I managed to make it upstairs without killing myself. (laughs) Good job. So I called it a good day and went to bed. End of story. I managed to reach the landing without disaster and entered by an open door into the lighted square room of the tower. Dampier came forward in gown and slippers to receive me, giving me the greeting that I wished. And if I had held a thought that it might more fitly have been accorded me at the front door, the first look at him dispelled any sense of his inhospitality. Oh, damn. He was not the same. Hardly past middle age, he had gone gray and had acquired a pronounced stoop. Isn't that fun when you see your classmates and you're like, there is no fucking way we are the same age. Whether they've aged really, 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 really good or they've aged like, and you're like, they look like my parents now. There is no way we are all the same age. Yeah. There's, a, I have a lot of those friends where like some of them look amazing and like, you know, whatever. And then some of them I'm like, ooh, rough 20s, eh? Well, <laughs> rough, I, I have. Rough, like, I'm like, drugs? 
I have I have a couple of friends who I've realized um, who have made me realize that we are now getting very close to the age that our parents were oh, when yeah. we were friends in like late elementary school, middle school. Oh, yeah. Um, because I see pictures of them now and I'm like, oh, my God, you look exactly like your dad yeah. did when we met or you look exactly like your mom did when we met or whatever. Yep. Yep. It's real eerie. Yep. All right. Okay. So his friend has uh, had a rough time. Hardly past middle age, he had gone gray and had acquired a pronounced stoop. His figure was thin and angular, his face deeply lined, his complexion dead white, without a touch of color. His eyes, unnaturally large, glowed with a fire that was almost uncanny. Hmm. He seated me, proffered a cigar, and with grave and obvious sincerity assured me of the pleasure that it gave him to meet me. Some unimportant conversation followed, but all the while I was dominated by a melancholy sense of the great change in him. This he must have perceived, for he suddenly said with a bright enough smile, You are disappointed in me. <laughs> Oh, non sum qualis erum. Ooh, some Latin. I hardly knew what to reply, but managed to say, why, really, I don't know. Uh, your Latin is about the same. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, rough. Oh, rough. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I look, I mean, uh, uh, Latin, yeah. That's. No, he said, being a dead language, it grows in appropriateness. But please have the patience to wait. Where I am going, there is perhaps a better tongue. Oh. Will you care to have a message in it? Huh? His smile faded as he spoke. And as he concluded, he was looking into my eyes with a gravity that distressed me. Yet I would not surrender myself to his mood, nor permit him to see how deeply his prescience of death affected me. I fancy that it will be long, I said, before human speech will cease to serve our need, and then the need, with its possibilities of service, will have passed. He made no reply, and I too was silent, for the talk had taken a dispiriting turn, yet I knew not how to give it a more agreeable character. Suddenly, in a pause of the storm, when the dead silence was almost startling by contrast with the previous uproar, I heard a gentle tapping. Uh-oh. Which appeared to come from the wall behind my chair. Wait, I didn't know we were doing Poe this week. <laughs> tap, tap, tap. <laughs> Nevermore. Nevermore. The sound was such as might have been made by a human hand, not as upon a door by one asking admittance, but rather, I thought, as an agreed signal an assurance of someone's presence in an adjoining room. Most of us, I fancy, have had more experience of such communications than we should care to relate. 
I glanced at Dampier. If possibly there was something of amusement in the look, he did not observe it. He appeared to have forgotten my presence and was staring at the wall behind me with an expression in his eyes that I am unable to name, although my memory of it is as vivid today as was my sense of it then. The situation was embarrassing. I rose to take my leave. At this, he seemed to recover himself. Please be seated, he said. It is nothing. No one is there. Oh, okay. But the tapping was repeated, and with the same gentle, slow insistence as before. Pardon me, I said. It is late. May I call tomorrow? He smiled a little mechanically, I thought. It is very delicate of you, said he, but quite needless, really. This is the only room in the tower, and no one is there. Don't go into the room in the tower! (laughs) No one ever listens to my song. No! But you really need to. (laughs) At least... He left the sentence incomplete, rose, and threw up a window the only opening in the wall from which the sound seemed to come. See? Oh my god, oh Not god. clearly knowing what else to do, I followed him to the window and looked out. A street lamp some little distance away gave enough light through the murk of the rain that was again falling in torrents to make it entirely plain that no one was there. In truth, There was nothing but a sheer blank wall of the tower. Dampier closed the window and, signing me to my seat, resumed his own. Okay, this is like, okay. So he goes to visit his friend from high school. Yep. Shows up, friend looks a little rough. And then like, there's these noises from secret rooms and windows. It's like, do you have the murder house in town? Like, or what's going on here? Yep. <laughs> Can I come back tomorrow? No. Come in, over and look out the window. <laughs> in the daylight? Yeah. Can I come back when it... Yeah. Cause, this feels like the guy in high school who liked to, um, like, set you up, like, play play pranks and yeah. shit. But he just never grew up. Yeah. He, he either never grew up or uh, he was uh, just studying to be a psychopath. <laughs> One of the two. The incident was not itself particularly mysterious. Any one of a dozen explanations was possible, though none has occurred to me. (laughs) Yet it impressed me strangely, the more, perhaps, from my friend's effort to reassure me, which seemed to dignify it with a certain significance and importance. Yeah. He had proved that no one was there, but... In that fact lay all the interest. <laughs> it's like, oh. And wait, he what? proffered no explanation. His silence was irritating <laughs> and made me resentful. Uh, yeah. My good friend, I said, somewhat ironically, I fear, 
I am not disposed to question your right to harbor as many spooks as you find agreeable to your taste and consistent with your notions of companionship. That is no business of mine. But being just a plain man of affairs, mostly of this world, I find spooks needless to my peace and comfort. I am going to my hotel where my fellow guests are still in the flesh. <laughs> So he lost his cool really fast and was like, uh, bye. (laughs) Not into it. That's also one of my favorite speeches yet to be given in In one of our our stories. It's very blunt. It's like, no, I'm not going to hang out. No, I'm not going to stay in the room in the tower. No, I'm not going to check into this room that you're like, it's totally fine. No, I'm going to get the fuck out of here because no, I don't do, I don't do ghosts. (laughs) You're being weird and I'm out. Well, but it's also, it's, yes, it's all of that, but it's also so polite in all of that. Because yeah, it's well, like, yes. listen, listen, maybe you do the ghost thing. Maybe ghosts are part of your life. That's cool. cool. They are not part of mine. Not judging so you. if you don't mind, fuck you. Yeah, without saying fuck you. It's like, if you don't mind, uh, you do you and I'm going to go do me. Goodbye. Peace out. It was not a very civil speech. <laughs> I did. I, I would. I would argue with you. I would. I disagree. Argue. I think it was incredibly civil, especially for being on the spot while a ghost is knocking on the door. So yeah. yeah. But he manifested no feeling about it. <laughs> Kindly remain, he said. I am grateful for your presence here. What you have heard tonight, I believe myself to have heard twice before. Now I know it is no illusion. That is much to me, more than you know. Have a fresh cigar and a good stock of patience while I tell you the story. Oh, no, no, no. Leave, leave. You said you wanted to leave. Leave. (laughs) Always, always leave. Just go. Ghost stories, dear listeners, (laughs) ghost stories told at night during thunderstorms or around campfires like this one. Yes, crackle, crackle. Are things that have great power. Mm-hmm. What that means is if you're hanging out with your high school buddy in a creepy ass house and they say, let me tell you a ghost story, you say no. I'm good. I'll come back in the morning because you know when ghost stories have no power? In the morning over a cup of coffee or a mimosa. Yeah, I was going to say a mimosa. (laughs) Nothing is scary that comes with a side of French toast. (laughs) That is science. (laughs) Take that, Mr. Wizard. (laughs) Bill Nye, are you listening? And we know you are. (laughs) Ten years ago, he said, I occupied a ground floor apartment in one of a row of houses all alike away at the other end of town on what we call Rincon Hill. This had been the best quarter of San Francisco, but had fallen into neglect and decay, partly because the primitive character of its domestic architecture no longer suited the maturing tastes of our wealthy citizens, partly because certain public improvements had made a wreck of it. Oh, so they got gentrified. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
The row of dwellings in one of which I lived stood a little way back from the street, each having a miniature garden separated from its neighbors by low iron fences and bisected with mathematical precision by a box-bordered gravel walk from gate to door. One morning, uh, as I was leaving my lodging, I observed a young girl entering the adjoining garden on the left. It was a warm day in June, and she was lightly gowned in white. From her shoulders hung a broad straw hat profusely decorated with flowers and wonderfully beribboned in the fashion of the time. My attention was not long held by the exquisite simplicity of her costume, for no one could look at her face and think of anything earthly. Do not fear, I shall not profane it by description. Oh, God! No, that's worse. (laughs) It was beautiful exceedingly. So it was so, she was so beautiful, there's no way she she could be real. Yeah, unearthly. And to try to, and try to describe, to try to describe would be describing, yeah, Yeah. or, or like, All that I had ever seen or dreamed of loveliness was in that matchless living picture by the hand of the divine artist. So deeply did it move me that without a thought of the impropriety of the act, I unconsciously bared my head as a devout Catholic or well-bred Protestant uncovers before an image of the Blessed Virgin. The maiden showed no displeasure. She merely turned her glorious dark eyes upon me with a look that made me catch my breath and without other recognition of my act, passed into the house. For a moment, I stood motionless. Except for your dick. (laughs) Your dick. Everything else was still. And there was just like twitch, 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 twitch. For a moment, I stood motionless, hat on dick, <laughs> painfully <laughs> conscious of my dick. <laughs> Yet so dominated by the emotion of my, my dick. dick. It's like, my dick. (laughs) I'm grossing myself out. (laughs) Then I went my way, leaving my dick behind. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God, that took a turn. Ow. (laughs) Ow. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Or metaphorically. He's metaphorically leaving his dick behind. I hope it's a metaphor because what he actually said he left behind was his heart. Oh, okay. Um, So I'm going to go back and read that half a paragraph. Without the dicks? Without the dicks. Okay. For a moment, I stood motionless, hat in hand, painfully. Oh, I said hat on dick. I could have said dick in hand. (laughs) 
I mean, hat on dick is a really funny image. It is. It's like someone put a top hat on their penis. It's yes, like, and that's, hello. And that's, yes, that's very good. But, How are but, you? But I stood motionless, dick in hand, painfully conscious of my rudeness. That's such okay. a delightful <laughs> sentence. That, that, is, that happens on the New York subway often, I think. <laughs> Oh. I have definitely been on a subway at like two in the morning when there's some guy dick in hand, painfully yep. unaware. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> For a moment, I stood motionless, hat in hand, painfully conscious of my rudeness, yet so dominated by the emotion inspired by that vision of incomparable beauty that my penitence was less poignant than it should have been. <laughs> So I was horny, and I should. I and should've I should have felt guilty about it, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't. Then I went on my way, leaving my heart behind. Ain't that the Catholic way? <laughs> it should feel. In guilt. the natural course of things, I should probably have remained away until nightfall. But by the middle of the afternoon, I was back in the little garden, affecting an interest in the few foolish flowers that I had never before observed. My hope was vain. She did not appear. To a night of unrest succeeded a day of expectation and disappointment. But on the day after, as I wandered aimlessly about the neighborhood, I met her. Of course, I did not repeat my folly of uncovering, nor venture by even so much as a long look to manifest an interest in her, yet my heart was beating audibly. My, I trembled and consciously colored as she turned her big black eyes upon me with a look of obvious recognition, entirely devoid of boldness or coquetry. I would be like, dude, are you trying to talk me into a threesome with your wife? Because like, He's come to visit his friend from high school mm -hmm. and he's like, let me tell you about this hot. Let me tell you a story about this hot lady. And there's this tapping on the like door next to them. And it's like, dude, do you want me to have a threesome with you and your wife? Like, this is a lot of theatricality. For, like, you can just ask. You can just ask. But, I and, might and be into it. Really? But. Like, just bring her in. I'll take one look and I'll know if it's <laughs> if we're going for it or not. Like, I know we like, you know, touched touched penises and gym that one time just the tip <laughs> just the tip but like let's just see her you don't have to this doesn't have to be a whole thing it's not gay if it's in the locker room it's not it, yeah and apparently this house has its own locker room <laughs> tap 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 i will not weary you with particulars many times afterward i met the maiden yet never either addressed her or sought to fix her attention nor did I take any action toward making her acquaintance, perhaps my forbearance requiring so supreme an effort of self-denial will not be entirely clear to you, that I was heels over head in love. Heels over head? But who can overcome his habit of thought or reconstruct his character heels over head at least makes sense that, as an exclamation of how in love you are as head opposed over to heels head over heels is just how you walk down the street yep yep 
I've never heard it said in the way that it probably should be if you're actually describing, like, it knocked me off my feet. Yeah, I felt all topsy-turvy. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I've just never heard that, like, actually described. Heels overhead. Heels overhead. I was what some foolish persons are pleased to call, and others more foolish are pleased to be called, an aristocrat. And despite her beauty, her charms and graces, the girl was not of my class. I had learned her name, which it is needless to speak, and something of her family. She was an orphan, a dependent niece of the impossible elderly fat woman in whose lodging house she lived. Is this a Jane Austen story? (laughs) Uh, somewhere between Jane Austen's and Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. Yeah, yep. she was below me and an orphan. <laughs> My income was small, and I lacked the talent for marrying. It is perhaps a gift. An alliance <laughs> with that family would condemn me to its manner of life part me from my books and studies, and in a social sense, reduce me to the ranks. It is easy to deprecate such considerations as these, and I have not retained myself for the defense. Let judgment be entered against me, but in strict justice all my ancestors for generations should be made co-defendants and I be permitted to plead in mitigation of punishment the imperious mandate of heredity. To a misalliance of that kind, every globule of my ancestral blood spoke in opposition. In brief, my tastes, habits, Instinct with whatever of reason my love had left me, all fought against it. Moreover, I was an irreclaimable sentimentalist and found a subtle charm in an impersonal and spiritual relation which acquaintance might vulgarize and marriage would certainly dispel. No woman, I argue, is what this lovely creature seems. Love is a delicious dream. Why should I bring about my own awakening? Wow, this this guy needs a hug. He, he put her up on a pedestal. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He put the pussy on the pedestal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> I just rewatched that like recently. And they keep saying, you're putting the pussy on the pedestal. He's like, what does that mean? It's real though. When you like have like a crush on someone, it's like, and all of a sudden you like are like, I don't want to talk to that person. Yeah. Whereas if you like have not even realized you had a crush or no one had pointed out you had a crush on them or yada yada yada, you would have probably been just fine. But the second you're like, huh, putting the pussy on the pet or the penis on the pedestal, I guess. And that's that is like that. Uh, inevitably is where the worst of, of heartbreak comes from. Too, oh yeah. Is um, when, you, when yeah. you do the thing where you fall in love with someone so hard and so fast that you, um, you turn them into something more than human. The goddess, you turn um, them into a God or a goddess. Yeah. Because once you've done that, you're screwed because mm-hmm. what's, what is either going to happen is, is they're going to say, like if you ever get around to talking to them, either they're going to say no 
and then you'll be devastated by the fact that your your pinnacle of perfection has said no yeah. or they'll say yes and then that first time they fart in bed with you <laughs> the like, universe is over it's like oh no there's a sex in the city episode about that but what is much more yeah. likely is that you'll just never get around to talking to yeah. them and telling them and so then the heartache that you feel is is the one from like your i never even had courage. a chance yeah yeah so take your pick they all suck don't put the pussy on the pedestal <laughs> besides you can never compare to a pedestal <laughs> I'm sorry, that might have been a little too subtle. That was another penis joke. <laughs> no man's penis is the size of a pedestal. It's a deci- it depends on the size of the pedestal. It depends on what kind of art it's holding up. I, well, I assume if it's a pussy going on the pedestal, that it is at least... Mom, Dad, Jamie, all my relatives, I love you. But yeah, this you agree, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Love is a delicious dream. Why should I bring about my own awakening? The course dictated by all this sense and sentiment was obvious. Honor, pride, prudence, preservation of my ideals all commanded me to go away but for that i was too weak the utmost that i could do by a mighty effort of will was to cease meeting the girl and that i did i even avoided the chance encounters of the garden leaving my lodging only when i knew that she had gone to her music lessons and returning after nightfall yet all the while, I was as one in a trance, indulging the most fascinating fancies and ordering my entire intellectual life in accordance with my dream. Ah, my friend, as one whose actions have a traceable relation to reason, you cannot know the fool's paradise in which I lived. One evening... The devil put it into my head to be an unspeakable idiot. <laughs> By... Was that the devil? Or was that your penis? <laughs> or are you just an idiot? Are you just, are you, you know, or are you just attracted to this woman? <laughs> like, come on. By apparently careless and purposeless questioning, I learned from my gossipy landlady that the young woman's bedroom adjoined <gasps> my own. Oh, a no. party wall between. A Yield party wall? A party wall, yes. Oh, yeah, they're going to make it a party wall. Have you heard of the glory hole? <laughs> Yielding to a sudden and coarse impulse, I gently rapped on the wall. There was no response, naturally, but I was in no mood to accept a rebuke. A madness was upon me, and I repeated the folly, the offense, but again ineffectually, and I had the decency to desist. 
An hour later, while absorbed in some of my infernal studies, I heard, or thought I heard, my signal answered. Flinging down my books, I sprang to the wall, and as steadily as my beating heart would permit, gave three slow taps upon it. This time, the response was distinct, unmistakable. One, two, three. An exact repetition of my signal. That was all I could elicit, but it was enough. Too much. The next evening, and for many evenings afterward, that folly went on, I always having the last word. During the whole period, I was deliriously happy, but with the perversity of my nature, I persevered in my resolution not to see her. Then, as I should have expected, I got no further answers. She's disgusted, I said to myself, with what she thinks my timidity in making no more definite advances, and I resolved to seek her and make her acquaintance, and... What? I did not know, nor do I now know what might have come of it. I know only that I passed days and days trying to meet her, and all in vain. She was invisible as well as inaudible. I haunted the streets where we had met, but she did not come. From my window I watched the garden in front of her house, but she passed neither in nor out. I fell into the deepest dejection, believing that she had gone away, yet took no steps to resolve my doubt by inquiry of my landlady, to whom, indeed, I had taken an un conquerable aversion from her having once spoken to the girl with less of reverence than I thought befitting. There came a fateful night. Stalker! <laughs> Worn out with emotion, irresolution, and despondency, I had retired early and fallen into such sleep as was still possible to me. In the middle of the night, something, some malign power, bent upon the wrecking of my peace forever, caused me to open my eyes and sit up, wide awake, and listening intently for I knew not what. Then I thought I heard a faint tapping on the wall. The mere ghost of the familiar signal. In a few moments it was repeated, one, two, three no louder than before, but addressing a sense alert and strained to receive it. I was about to reply when the adversary of peace again intervened in my affairs with a rascally suggestion of retaliation. She had long and cruelly ignored me. Now I would ignore her. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. No, no, sweetie. No, no. <laughs> Incredible fatuity. May God forgive it. All the rest of the night I lay awake, fortifying my obstinacy with shameless justifications and listening. You just fucked up, dude. Late the next morning, as I was leaving the house, I met my landlady entering. Good morning, Mr. Dampier, she said. Have you heard the news? I replied in words that I had heard no news oh God. in a manner 
that I did not care to hear any. Oh, God. The manner escaped her observation. About the sick lady next door, she babbled on. What, you did not know? Why, she's been ill for weeks, and now... I almost sprang upon her, and now, I cried, now what? Oh, God. She is dead. She was trying to say goodbye. Oh, my God! That is not the whole story. In the middle of the night, as I learned later, the patient, awakening from a long stupor after a week of delirium, had asked... It was her last utterance that her bed be moved to the opposite side of the room. Those in attendance had thought the request a vagary of her delirium, but had complied, and there the poor passing soul had exerted its failing will to restore a broken connection, a golden thrill of sentiment between its innocence and a monstrous baseness owing a blind, brutal allegiance to the law of self. What reparation could I make? Are there masses that can be said for the repose of souls that are abroad such nights as this, spirits blown about by the viewless winds coming in the storm and darkness with signs and portents hints of memory and presages of doom this is the third visitation on the first occasion i was too skeptical to do more than verify by natural methods the character of the incident on the second i responded to the signal after it had been several times repeated but without result tonight's recurrence completes the fatal triad expounded by Perapelius necromantius There is no more to tell. When Dampier had finished his story, I could think of nothing relevant that I cared to say, and to question him would have been a hideous impertinence. (laughs) I rose and bade him good night in a way to convey to him a sense of my sympathy, which he silently acknowledged by a pressure of the hand. That night, alone with his sorrow and remorse, he passed into the unknown. (gasps) The end. Oh my god. Holy shit, that took a turn. So, um... So was she knocking for the third time knowing he was gonna die, like... Now we can like be together. I th- yeah, I mean, I think the, the three. Like... What what he said was that those three visitations yeah. were sort of her letting him know your time is coming. Yeah, like you you get you get three of these, and the, yeah. the third time will be the night that you pass. Um, sort of sidebar. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it lines up with the um at least one of the morals mm-hmm. that that I'm taking from this story. As we are recording this, today was my dad's birthday. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He he died a few years back. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I, I posted a thing on a couple of the social medias that was me playing and singing a song that I very much associate with him. Um, and just sharing a little bit about that. And, um, and I added to the end of the post something to the effect of tell your friends and family what you feel about them. Tell them you love them because they want to hear it. Yeah. That feels like this. Yeah. Just say the thing you're thinking. Say what you're feeling. Yeah. Tell people what you're feeling. Tell them what you're thinking. Because Especially if you love them. Because, because putting it off doesn't do anyone any good. Because you might think that you're keeping them from like feeling awkward if you get too forward and emotional. And you might think that like in this case, you're protecting yourself from um, embarrassment or from uh, negative social repercussions. But the truth is you get over awkwardness you don't get over missed chances yeah you don't get over regret yeah i think especially i think this story and the pandemic and like in general life has been teaching us recently is tell people you love them like it's very important it's very important like don't just don't just knock on the wall like don't just knock on the wall tell them you love them because who knows what that will do to their day, you know? What a beautiful, like, what a, like, what a twist. I I didn't know where that was going. I, like, now I'm definitely not going to attend my reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Someone sits me down and tells me a story like that, and be like, um, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And now we're just in a cornfield. What am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah, that was beautiful. I had no idea that's where it was going, and like I, I like how it lines up with like your day and yeah. Um, Dear listener, and if you're a new listener, you you don't know that this is our routine. But at mm-hmm. the end of every episode, uh, we like to give a little secret password. Mm-hmm. And what this password does is, um, it's just a it's it's a fun way for you to say hi to us. It'll let us know that you listened this far. So you can email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. 5050artsproduction is our sort of parent production company. Mm -hmm. Or you can message us at uh, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of those social media things. And if you just Google Campfire Classics, we have a website as well. Yeah. Um, And and you send us this little password and it lets us know that you listened to the end and that you heard us talking about the moral and how we felt about the story. And it's, it's a nice way for us to feel like, um, this is, this is more of a conversation and less of us just screaming into the void. Yeah. It's nice. It's a nice way for you to say hi. If you're like, I don't know how to say hi. We want you to say hi. And and like, really thank you to, to all of you amazing people who do that because it really truly does make this so much to us feel so much more like a conversation. Um, and uh oh and to those of you who have been responding to last week's episode with a thank you emily just mm-hmm. know that those have been getting passed on and yes. she very much appreciates them yes so yes. that's awesome um all of that is a lead up to this uh this week's secret passcode is of course dick in hand <laughs> but What I would also love is while you are writing us a message that says dick in hand, also send a message to someone in your life who you just 
feel like you should say something to um whether it's uh you know a friend you haven't talked to in a long time or uh a, a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a child or whatever who maybe just needs to hear that you're thinking about them or fuck it even if it's just that you know cute guy who works at the coffee shop that thank um, you for making my coffee that, so good that you've been too nervous to talk to or whatever mm -hmm. um tell someone what you're thinking and what you're feeling and um do that while you're sending us your message so that um so that it forces you to actually do the thing and if you're really feeling bold about it let us know who you talk yeah. to um but uh yeah that's all that would just be my request is in addition to to our secret code that I, you you reach out and touch someone i <laughs> with their consent um uh, I think after it, your dick is no longer in your in hand. your hand, yes, don't, yeah. Uh, I do kind of love that this all lined up with the whole uh, fun facts of like disappearance and like s tell people what you feel when you when you can. when you can because you never know what's gonna happen to like in the world um, where we are in the world. I know we don't usually go to the like the serious place, but yeah, we've is... we've both been dealing with a lot of stress. I think the world's been dealing with a lot yeah. of stress lately and that was that story lined up so beautifully with your father's birthday and um yeah. And uh you know what? Sometimes we uh guess what? Ken and Heather have feelings too. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes we have many to feelings. to bury them very deep under dick jokes. Under but like... dick jokes and mountains of protein powder. <laughs> uh but um but they're still there but they're still there so yeah i mean what a what a beautiful sentiment that story was i had no idea that's where it was going and hey in case no one has told you today i love you now tell five friends about camper <laughs> <laughs> but seriously you're amazing you're getting through this fucking time that's just nuts and uh the fact that you're here listening or you're just getting through your day fuck yeah that's that's you're you're kicking ass so i think with that i think uh, we're it's done enough of this mushy shit um <laughs> so remember to send us an email with dick in hand yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a picture of your dick in your hand but just the phrase dick in hand yeah for the record <laughs> We, any I don't pictures, want any dick pics. Yes. So if you send us dick pics, we're going to use them for blackmail. Yep. Um, because this podcast doesn't make us nearly enough money. So we're just nope. going to extort you. Yep. Um, You're welcome. That's that's what you get for for, for unsolicited porn. <laughs> Consent. Consent is important. And on that note, this has been... Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Knock, knock, knock. My secret message for you to come on over. Yeah, no, I, I got come it. Come on was, over, come on over, baby. It was, it was a Darth Vader vibrator with some tap, tap, tapping. <laughs> Full circle.